Hey everybody, on this week's episode of Dudes of Kung Fu, we discuss um, loyalty in the martial arts. Are you loyal to yourself? Are you loyal to your Sifu? Are you loyal to your Kung Fu family? Or your training camp? Who are you loyal to? Why should you be loyal to them? And we also have a little fun with Alex's new haircut, because he thinks he's the freaking real Slim Shady of Wing Chun. Sit back and enjoy. And every day, I practice martial arts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of... Dudes of Kung Fu. Outstanding. How are you there, my friend? I'm doing really well, man. Uh, it's been a really busy week. Uh, we had a great response to our last podcast where we had uh, Steve Bolden on there. I had a lot of fun doing that. How about you? Oh, man, that was awesome. I mean, you know, I love Steve. I, To me, Steve is a father figure, and um, I, I just was so proud to share him with the, uh, the rest of the martial arts community on the podcast. Um, I've been telling people for years that I've learned so much from Steve Golden, some of which had to do with martial arts. <laughs> and I, I'm hoping people get you know get a little bit of an inkling of what I mean. He's just such a good guy and just such a good freaking person, regardless of his martial arts ability and his teaching ability. Just a man, him as a man, as a person, is just an incredible person. And uh, and I'm just he's just so caring and fucking honest. It's amazing. And um, I'm just I'm just so happy, and, and the the response has been overwhelming, right. You know, right? I mean, people are contacting us left and right, saying like, just how happy they were to have him on. I mean, it's it's it's. it's I, I, saw couple, I saw a couple comments online. Some I guess people who had learned from uh, Steve in the past, or maybe their students of yours, were like, "Oh, I can't believe he said this," or "I can't believe he let it out about that." So a lot of people felt that he. Uh, spoke maybe a little bit more candidly than he otherwise would have and that what probably has to do with his relationship with you what, what did you feel i mean you obviously know him better than i do was he a little bit more open than uh, because i mean it's a broad audience it's going out there i mean what he says behind closed doors and what he says openly is different same with me um did you feel that he kind of uh was a little I, bit more open than normal i thought he spoke more more openly about things than um i thought he was going to i was really happy that the way he spoke there was one uh, guy online who criticized me a little bit. He said that... Um, Only soon one? As, yeah, you know. Listen, everybody's a critic, and it's cool. I'll take, his, I'll take it as an honest cr- criticism. He, but, I, but it wasn't intentional. He had posted that um, he felt this, that I was cutting Steve off, that as soon as Steve started getting to the good stuff, I would cut him off to stop him. Uh-huh. And uh, he doesn't realize that that was by prearrangement. That... <laughs> And, well, um, also, I mean, uh, part of it, too, is for people who don't do podcasts. I mean, as interesting as any speaker might be on a podcast, the last thing you want, even if you have a really interesting speaker, is just to let one person just talk for the entire time and there's no interaction. Part of the podcast formula is that it's, it's kind of like uh, a podcast is different from a classical radio show in that this is basically what it would sound like if we were just hanging out talking with each other. You know what I mean? It's a conversation and, and it allows the listener to kind of feel like they're sitting at the same table. And they would be back and forth and talk, and it wouldn't just be like stop and let somebody monologue anyway. So it's, I think, part of the kind of more chat-oriented format of a podcast. What do you think? I, I agree, and that's how I d- actually described uh, the podcast to Steve Golden. He doesn't do he, – he hasn't done any podcast before this, and he doesn't really listen to podcasts. Right. So I was, I was trying to give him an idea of the vibe of this podcast being that it's more like just sitting here at my kitchen table bullshitting. And, and and that's you know and he and he's done that five hundred times so I think uh, and I think you know it uh, made him feel a little comfortable comfortable and um, it was great I but I wasn't really trying to cut him off as far as uh, you know uh, stopping him from talking about the good stuff I didn't have that feeling either and also I've met Steve a couple times and uh, some of the stories he told were stories that uh, I had already heard him say and he was actually. Uh, very, very consistent in, in the stories that he told, which was really great, uh, you know, because sometimes you, you stick around somebody long enough and you hear them tell the same story a couple times and some major details change and then you kind of go, hmm. <laughs> but he was totally consistent on the stories and, and, and so, and it was great to hear it again just to remember them. And, and, and Sure, stories. sure. I think um, I, I think a lot of people enjoyed uh, and, and got a lot out of him talking about things like timing and rhythm and distance and things to that effect because these are what are often put out there as um, 
esoteric principles of Jeet Kune Do, and, and he doesn't teach them that way. He teaches them as tools to be utilized. And um, and, and, and a lot of people just don't know that. They, they don't know to do that. They, they look at things like the five ways of attack as, uh, let me try this way of attack. Oh, wait, that didn't work. No, 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 let me try this way of attack. Oh, wait, no, that didn't work. Oh, let me try this one. Oh, look, that one worked. And that's not Steve's approach to uh, strategy and tactics. Um, his, his strategy and tactics approach is much uh, more refined and focused and, um, and effective than, than something as what we would refer to that as like attack by luck. Like, you know, I'm going to try this and hope the guy doesn't punch my fucking head in. Um, what Steve does is uh, there's a refinement to it. And, uh, and I was just so happy we had him on. And, and the response, like I said, has been overwhelming. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can have him on again soon. That's uh, yeah, it'd be a lot of fun too. Also, I saw uh, Burton Richardson's going to be in New York. I think in a week or two. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I saw he posted on Facebook. He, he posted something with uh, Marcelo Garcia, who's a famous jujitsu instructor out here, and he said something like, "Oh, I'll see him out in New York in ten days." So I'm going to see if I can uh, can convince him to to maybe come over here and stop by and say hi. So if he's listening, uh, yeah, would love to see him. That would be pretty damn cool. Yeah. Yeah, all right, good, good, good. So, so what's you, on the docket for tonight, man? Well, um, if, you know, I can't let it go. I'm sorry. I was going to let it go. I can't let it go. If, yeah, anybody's, I mean, if anybody's seen a recent picture of Alex, they know that he's had quite a different, let's call it, look. Um, it, it, it looks good. I'm not saying it looks bad. Um, he's always been a little too fucking pretty for me anyway, but he 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 went... Full fucking like change like 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 when a woman goes and get her hair dyed. Alex is now the fucking real slim shady of Wing Chun. It's I'm sitting there like it's like you know. Well, I'm the slim shady. I can't fucking do it. I'm cracking up. And I was I was wondering if you would forget and just not mention anything, but I'm like, there's no way Sean is going to let me go through this podcast without mentioning the fact that I I do now have blonde hair. Yes, that is correct. Okay, so that's the color we're calling it, blonde? All right, good. Well, no, I just... Okay, thing, it's supposed to be blonde, though, because my hair is so dark, it ends up coming out kind of blown out and orange or whatever. Um, well, I'm just going to say this. It, I, I may or may not have lost a bet, so I'm just going to leave it at that, and, and the audience can, can come up to their own conclusions or whatever, and something similar may have happened to me 10 years ago, and, and so apparently I have horrific luck about bedding and hair color, and I end up having to color my hair. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, I, I, I do think it looks good. I won't, you know, I hate to give you the satisfaction of that, but I do think it, <laughs> I think it, I think it makes you look a little young and funky, and and uh, it, it, it's pretty cool. I was going to dye the hair on my head, but since I really don't have any, I, <laughs> well, I won't do all that. My, all my students were commenting that I have not, not, not now gone super cyan, whatever the hell that means. Apparently that's some kind of Dragon Ball Z reference, but I was like, you know, I grew up on Kung Fu movies, Shaw Brothers films, Bruce Lee and stuff, and, and I think I had already found girls by the time Dragon Ball Z came out, so there was no chance Dragon Ball Z was going to ever be on my radar. But all, like, the young kids who are, like, in their 20-something, they're like, oh, you, no, you don't know Dragon Ball Z? I'm like, I'm not, I, had to, I had to Google Super Saiyan, and it's like some dude freaking out. And he's got blonde hair, and he's got all this martial arts power. So, well, to show you how old, to show you how old I am, and you'll catch the reference, and maybe some other people will. But when I see you with the blonde hair and the dark shirt on, all I can think of is sweep the leg from from, from, <laughs> from, from Karate, karate Kid. kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's also a very legit reference. That was the movie that got me interested in, in learning martial arts before. Uh, before I saw Bruce Lee, and I, that changed everything. So Karate Kid is still... Somebody posted the other day, like, uh, a meme, and they said, you know you're old when you realize that the Karate Kid is 54. And it was, oh. like, a photo, it was like a photo of Ralph Macchio. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Did you see what's going on with uh, TJ Dillashaw and Team Alpha Male? Not that we're going to have a, an MMA discussion, but it, I just yeah, thought gotta, it was really cool. Got to be careful with the MMA, because the... the, the as, I, as the Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do people call it the MMA. Right. Uh, because they, they, they get very upset when we talk about this. Um, but, yeah, you know, um, the, the UFC's uh, reality show, The Ultimate Fighter, I'm actually a big fan of it, although some seasons are more interesting than others. My wife and I watch it because uh, my wife is a total UFC fan. So, so whenever there's an interesting coach lineup, like 
she'll want to see it. So we're watching this one because it's uh, Cody Garbrandt uh, uh, versus uh, TJ Dillashaw because at the end of it, they're also going to fight for the title, which is, I think, going to be an amazing fight because uh, they're both really at the top of their game. And uh, Cody, uh, in his fight against uh, Dominic Cruz, really impressed the hell out of me. He was unbelievable. Absolutely. And, and TJ Dillashaw, of course, is, is, is phenomenal. And they have bad blood because, you know, t- you know, TJ used to be on Team Alpha Male, and it became a he said, she said type kind of thing. Where my, my wife Carol's very funny because she looks at it, she's like, God, they're totally acting like this is some like crazy ex girlfriend boyfriend shit. Like, you know, TJ left and followed Dwayne Ludwig, and then there's the kind of, you know, well, did he quit the team? Was he kicked out of the team? And why? And this and that. Was it for money, sponsorship, whatever? So there's a lot of bad blood between them. But what I thought was cool in episode one was that they kind of got in each other's face. And Cody Garbrandt, no joke, used Kung Fu on TJ Dillashaw. Like, they were like all in. It was like the typical like Kung Fu, especially practical Chinese martial arts styles, are meant for real close-range, quick, quick-draw type fighting, you know? And, and so... Like TJ and, and, and Cody are going at it, and suddenly out of nowhere, and it was amazing. It was non telegraphic movement. It would have made <laughs> Master's heart tickle. Cody just straight throat grabs TJ super fast and pushes him back. And then, of course, they get separated and a melee ensues. But it was like, it was this straight throat grab, which you could see in Wing Chun, you could see in Eagle Claw, you could see in traditional Kung Fu styles. It was so, even the still shot they have looks like it's out of an old Kung Fu book. And after that, they interviewed Cody, and you know, because they all called TJ a snake, and Cody was like, "That's the eagle wrapping up the snake right there." And I go, "That is straight kung fu, man." That was. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should definitely see. That this season is really good and, and uh, very interesting. The, the fighters in this season are all like um, old fighters from previous seasons who are coming back to redeem themselves. So even like Joe Stevenson, who was like from season wow, two, yeah. Yeah. that guy like got beat to death by by. BJ Penn, that's how old school he's like. Even he's back in the show. So it's interesting to see these old school cats come back and kind of go for a last run at it. Well, you know, the um, I, I got to listen to both uh, Dillashaw today in an interview and with, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he's one of the coaches for Team Alpha Male. I think like he's uh, the head coach right now on Team Alpha Male. Are you talking about Uriah Faber? No, not Faber. Uh, the guy who works for Faber. And... Okay. Um, uh, he, Are you talking about Danny Castillo? All right. You know I'm old. Uh, <laughs> Justin Buckholz. Oh, just okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And, yeah, so um, so I listened to two other podcasts today, and one had uh, Dillashaw on and one had Buckholz. And, and, and it was interesting. It was a discussion, you know, really outside of MMA. It just happened to be about MMA fighters. But it was really a cool discussion about loyalty. You know, and, you know, who do you owe loyalty to? Do you owe it strictly to yourself? Do you owe it to your coach or Sifu? Do you owe it to your Kung Fu family or they would say their fight team? You know, it's all it's all the same bullshit, just has a different stink. Sure. And, um, you know, when you heard, when, you, when you're talking to, you hear T.J. Dillashaw speak, he was talking about, um, they, they brought another coach into their, into their fight team. Yeah, uh, Dwayne Ludwig. Dwayne Ludwig, it's kind of like a striking coach. Yes. And Dwayne Ludwig stayed, stuck around for Team Alpha Male for about a year, yeah. and then moved to Denver and opened up his own his own gym. And um, Ludwig kind of said, like you know, uh, school owners love you until you open up your own gym, and then they hate you. Right. Until you leave and open up your own gym. And what what what? Um, at least my understanding, my takeaway from Dillashaw was that he was wants to be on Team Alpha Male and train with Team Alpha Male twenty four seven three sixty five except for his fight camps. So that he, he had, you know, in MMA they have a fight camp of eight weeks. And what he was doing was doing four weeks with Team Alpha Male, and then he'd go four weeks with Ludwig in Denver. Right. And, he, and he, he felt that he got uh, more out of the time in Denver. So he went to um, Faber and said, uh, Ryan Faber, who owns Team Alpha Male, and said, listen, I want to take a full eight-week camp in Denver as opposed to any of the camp here. And apparently everybody got butthurt about it. And um, and, and that's what kind of led to this split, you know. And, and, and Uriah Fable was kind of like, well, uh, if you're not going to be anywhere at fight camp here, then you're not part of Team Alpha Male. Right. You know, and at least that's one side of it. And, and to hear Buckholz talking, who is a coach at Team Alpha Male and a former fighter out of there, 
um, he was kind of saying like this, you know, Ludwig came in and coached there for a year and really clicked with Dillashaw and then kind of stole Dillashaw. And, uh-huh. and I'm listening to this on the way home from work, and I was thinking, like, you know, Alex, can a teacher steal a student? Like, if one of your students was stupid enough to leave you and come train with me, right? <laughs> you wouldn't say, oh, Sean stole my student. I don't think you would be like that. Right. Because I don't think, like, a teacher can steal a student. If one of my, if one of my like, best guys came to me tomorrow and said, listen, you know, I just enjoy Alex's stuff and I'm going to go train with Alex. If, even if I got a little butthurt about it, I wouldn't be mad at Alex. Alex didn't steal my student. Right. I wasn't good enough to keep my student. Right. You know, or my student just felt he needed something different. It's just this, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that people should be happy. Yes. And if you're happy someplace else... Go someplace else. Now, it may bother me. I'm not going to lie. I'm a human being. It may bother me. And I may, you know, and depending on how I'm told or how I find out would be how, whether you're welcome back or not. You know, sure, if you come sure, to sure. me, my, if you say, you know, let's, let's call uh, Seth, right? You, we both know Seth. Seth's been with me for, you know, a, a gajillion years and is one of my best friends and top guys. If Seth came to me tomorrow and said, "Listen, I really want to learn Alex's under, you know understanding of Wing Chun, and um, I'm going to go you know start training in his school," and I wouldn't be mad at Seth. I would say, "Guy, go do it, brother. You know, and steal all of Alex's stuff, and when you want to come back, come back, and let's let's say we invented that shit. <laughs> you know." But if one day I turn up online and I go and there's a fucking post that says, "Oh, by the way, I'm with Alex now. Fuck Big Sean." Sure. Then I would kind of be, oh, well, you know, I hope you enjoy yourself because you ain't ever coming back. Right. You know what I mean? So call me old school or traditional or whatever you want. But that's kind of how I look at that. The idea of loyalty is is a touchy subject in a martial arts. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Well, I think you brought up an interesting point because I think when it comes to loyalty, these things I think all need to be judged on a case-by-case basis. Exactly because, right. You know, like you said, it, it depends on, on the circumstances – Depends on the openness or closed-mindedness of the instructor or the student, and and also basically how the uh, the separation occurred. That has a lot to do with it too. And what's also interesting is that there's kind of the idea that these loyalty issues are more a problem of traditional martial arts, you know, because traditional martial arts tend to be a little bit more um, kind of. Uh, closed off to other styles and other arts and things like that so there tends to be more of this you know you have to be loyal to your system and your style and you don't break away and become disloyal whereas the perception is that for example in mma because it's essentially a sport that that's not necessarily the same case now i think in a lot of cases they are a lot more open so it's not unheard of that different fighters will go to different training camps uh, for different fights or they will go to different training camps to train different aspects like they go to this guy for jiu-jitsu and they go to this other camp for their striking and they go to a third camp to put it all together and i think that that's pretty normal that that they don't see that as strange but there are definitely some camps for example maybe team alpha male that are a little bit they have a very close bond that they're like a family so they maybe take it a little bit differently when something like that happens and again I think that even Chad Mendez, who's also part of Team Alpha Male, he's also gone and trained with Dwayne Ludwig as as has uh, Joseph Benavidez, who's also also part of uh, Team Alpha Male. But they're still part of Team Alpha Male. So I think that they might get a free pass. And again, I might be wrong. Maybe it's just something I read. Maybe, maybe I believe that they have also trained with Dwayne Ludwig as well, even after all this stuff with, with Dillashaw blew up. Um, but they don't seem to have an issue with those guys. So again, I think it's like on a case-by-case basis. Something must have happened between Dillashaw and them personally or the circumstances in which Dillashaw left may have given Faber the feeling that he was not shown face, whereas the other guys may have been more open and so on and so forth. So That and the fact that you know. Dillashaw had the title at the time, too. Yes, yeah. That, well, you know, that's something to hang you. You know, Dillashaw had the title. So Yeah, but, and, and, yeah go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go I was going to say, and also I think that in traditional martial arts, these problems of loyalty and disloyal students tend to obviously be more of an issue with your star student. So if you imagine the, the fighter that is the championship belt is equivalent maybe to the senior student of a traditional martial arts school. 
And so when that guy leaves or that guy does something or whatever, it's way bigger deal than when the guy who's just been with you for three months uh, decides to go to the other Wing Chun school or Jeet Kune Do school or something like that. So it also depends on who it is and what their relative uh, rank was in, in, you know, in the pecking order of that school as well. I think that has a lot to do with the how if they're viewed as being disloyal or not. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, it, that's a great point. I know from me with my experience, if you're going to list all of the uh, all of Steve Golden's students and put it like rank from, I guess, you know, highest to lowest, I'm about as low as you can get, okay? He's been teaching martial arts for a long time, and he's got guys that are with him for a lot fucking longer than, than I am. And, and um, so I make no... Uh, no, I don't know the right word of saying like I'm I'm of no importance in the Steve Golden um, kung fu family, so to speak, you know. But I look at my loyalty to Steve in Jeet Kune Do as something self-imposed, as opposed to something Steve put me under the under the under the heel with. Um, there's a, another Bruce Lee student who I train with, really great guy. I'm not going to say his name just because just because of the um, the subject matter of this this podcast, but a really, really good man, a really good guy. And um, and, and Steve knew I trained with him, and it, it, he was just a great guy. And um, he offered me an instructorship under him in Jeet Kune Do. And I was really honored. Like, I was like, wow, like, you know, a little taken aback, you know. And I turned it down. And trust me, that was not an easy thing to do. You know, um, I turned it down. And he said, why? And I said, because I feel like for me to accept an instructorship in Jeet Kune Do under you would cheapen my instructorship under Steve. I'll train with you, but I just can't do that to my relationship with Steve. I remember I told Steve, and he's like, you're nuts, you should have took it. Like, you know, and, and I, I just, I felt for me that that kind of would have lessened Steve's certificate that he gave me. Because when Steve handed me that certificate, it was so much more important to me than, hey, you're now an instructor. It was like a, it was like an acknowledgement of, of like a relationship I you know it was like we 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 were, we were tight and and um when I remember when I got when I got offered that other the certification I just kind of looked at it like oh man I just don't want to do that I just don't want to do that not to Steve because Steve wouldn't have cared he wouldn't have cared at all it, it just it would have made me feel lousy you know and I, I don't know if that's a loyalty thing or just a relationship thing, but I'm to this day kind of proud and happy I made that decision, and um, and I know I can't impose that on what my students do, but to me that's like part of kung fu life, you know, respecting respecting your family until unless something makes it that you cannot train with a person ever again. Like I just can't see, I just can't stomach this guy one more time, you know. Yeah, no, uh, um, th- those are very good points, and I think that there's also obviously loyalty is kind of a, a human need because in terms of like our evolution as a as as a species or whatever, being loyal to your tribe is also what helped ensure your survival. And nowadays, that we essentially live in in, uh, in a modern day and age where that's not necessarily the case in the same way, then our loyalty tends to be with other things that we do, things that we elect to do, as opposed to things that are purely survival based and Obviously, in traditional Chinese martial arts, as the example, loyalty is a really big thing because uh, Chinese martial arts, um, from their inception, um, not talking about military martial arts, talking about family styles, styles like Wing Chun and Hong Hoon and these styles that were kind of passed down through either lodges or or, or, uh, small groups or families or whatever. It was a big deal because these were like the family secrets. Right. And so um, if it was not uh, if you were not a family member who was being entrusted with this, you were an outsider that was being entrusted with family secrets. So it was a very big deal. And to be essentially uh, um, disloyal or to become an apostate 
of your martial arts style was you were treated the very same in the very same manner as apostates to religions are, are, are were often treated in history. Like you know, you were ostracized or or, or even worse. Um, the problem is nowadays in a modern society where we essentially live in a consumer based uh, um, world where it's like you go to the place where you get the best experience. You go to this martial arts school because you get the training you want. It's the atmosphere you want. It's it's your right as a consumer to go to the place that you want. Does this ancient or, or traditional idea of loyalty, can it still be enforced or, or um, does it still mean the same thing that it does in the old days? Now, certainly, um, because information is out there, it's easy for people. If my students are not yet at the level to learn Buji, they're only at Chumkyu, all right? Well, I mean, they could just go on YouTube and go see the Buji or they could buy my Seagong's book or something like that. It's like they could they have access to things that they didn't have access to in the old days. In the old days, your teacher was your only chance to learn those things. Nowadays, people could easily just get the book, get the video, or go to the other guy down the street. And these were things that actually did not exist in the other days. So loyalty um, is not just a traditional value because it was old, but it was also a lot easier to enforce in those days because you did not really have the choices that you have nowadays. And unfortunately... Chinese tradition, so I'm only speaking about Chinese martial arts, obviously Japanese martial arts and Korean martial arts, I'm sure that they have the same things, but I'm, I'm just going to say Chinese martial arts because it's my area. Um, Chinese martial arts has a bit of an identity issue now because we are holding over certain traditions that were brought over from a time when people did not have other choices, and on top of that, loyalty was a much, much bigger deal in the day and age where information flows readily, uh, whether it's correct or not, um, where people could easily go to other places. So nowadays, the onus is on the instructor. If I want students to stay loyal to me, I need to bring it as an instructor. When I'm on the floor, I need to give them an awesome lesson. I need to make sure the atmosphere is top notch. I need to be the one who becomes a service provider. And I can't just rely on the students to be loyal to me because I'm the only guy in town because that does not exist anymore. And um, by the way, this is actually what I talked about in my interview for Apple Daily for the Hong Kong newspaper last year that my ex-teacher Sifu Leung Ting got very upset about because he thought that I was saying that he was not that way. But I wasn't saying that. I was just saying Chinese martial arts in general. But he took it as a personal attack. See, the interesting thing is, and I think it's good because now people who teach traditional Chinese martial arts cannot sit on their asses because they're the only guy in town who does this. Now, not only do we have competition from other people who teach the same arts, I'm not the only guy who teaches Wing Chun in New York City, but we have competition from MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, Taekwondo, everything else. So now the martial art instructors who teach Kung Fu or Wing Chun in particular, they need to bring it. And for some people, they're not ready to accept this challenge. They would rather just yell at people who leave them than, than take the blame on themselves that maybe somebody left because you're a shitty instructor or, and I'm not saying that's the only reason people leave, people also leave their own self-interest or whatever but you know i think a lot of kung fu people need to look at themselves and look at their school look at the atmosphere look at what they're teaching and see if it's really keeping people or whether they uh, are just holding on to this you need to be loyal because i teach kung fu bit you know which i think is dated right well that's why i loved your school so much when i visited i mean it to me it's the perfect uh blend of the old and the new you know i mean you walk in and it's kind of got this vibe look and feel of old school kung fu right but it's also got that little bit of a boxing gym type atmosphere about it you know and um i really i that's why i was so impressed with it you know in in spite of you and (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean when you meet the the um i i was fortunate enough to meet some of the guys that uh and and, uh, and 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 a female student as well that uh, train with you and teach under you, and these are just some seriously good people, Thank you me. know, and, um, and and things like that. So I when I look at loyalty, it's it's crazy because like I'm not a member of your school. Um, I've, I've I've met your guys, you know. I say guys, but I don't mean to leave. I met Margaret, right? That's her name, sure. Margaret. Um, I met her as well. Um, and I, I'm not one of their fellow students or anything to that, but I kind of feel a loyalty to them and to your school. 
you know, it's like, because uh, they were just so welcomingly, welcoming to me and and just so freaking nice, you know, again, in spite of you with that <laughs> fucking haircut. And um, it's, uh, and, I, and I think to me, when I talk about loyalty, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, I, I have a loving family that likes me in spite of who I am as a person, you know. I come home, I come home to a house that's, happy that I'm here. My wife loves me. I love my wife. Uh, my kids kind of like me and I kind of like them, you know? <laughs> and so I, I, I love being around my family and I want my Kung Fu family to be the same way, you know? Sure. And um, that's why I just, I, uh, not to rip, rip Matt Thornton off, but he, he uses this term, um, one tribe, same vibe. And, and, I, and I love that term because I kind of feel like, you know, when when me and my guys sit down and get together, you know, we're, we're all different guys, politically, socially, you know, in our life, in, in different positions in our life and things to that effect. But we all have one thing in common that we all kind of respect and love family. And, and, I, and I think when you talk about Kung Fu family, this idea of Kung Fu life, that's what the loyalties to. It's it's this idea of re, you you you're you're loyal to the respect and love of family rather than to a a particular lineage. You know, I also talk about um, on this podcast. I've mentioned a gajillion times, like my my Jeet Kune Do lineage under Steve Golden, and my Wing Chun lineage is under um, Tom Kagan, my my Wing Chun Sifu, and this is absolutely no different and. Under under Tom, um, I trained in Moyat Wing Chun because that's what Tom Kagan trained in. Um, you know, if Tom trained in uh, Lung Ting Wing Chun, I would be doing Lung Ting Wing Chun. If Tom did Wong Sheng Long, I would be doing Wong Sheng Long. I went to Moyat Wing Chun because of Tom. He was my friend. He's the person I enjoyed being around. He's the person I enjoyed listening to speak. Um, yeah, he's a sarcastic bastard. Tom, I love you, but you are. But I enjoy being around him, and I enjoy his stories, and I enjoy his lessons, and I enjoy the feeling of camaraderie and love and respect that we have when we're together. And it's that feeling that you become loyal to. Right. You know, and when someone breaks that, it's got to be done the right way. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's not done the right way, then there's this kind of like, fuck you about it. You know, sure. fuck right. you and thank you very much. Move right. on. Right. That's yeah. that's kind of like, because it's not that, oh, look, and, oh, he's going to train with this person now. Go right ahead. I couldn't care less. It's that you hurt the the core. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, I, don't, I don't know. Am I making too much out of it? Like, this is... this no, is. No, well, I mean, again... I'm really speaking from the heart here. This is how I really feel about it, you know? And I know it's weird coming from a JKD guy, but this is how I feel about it. There's this there's this core, this family, and it's when people hurt that that it upsets me. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, and you always have to take into consideration, it's, it's just like the Kung Fu school is just a microcosm for what goes on outside. I mean, you're going to have people who are there just purely for their own interests, you're going to have there who not only, you know, people who want to learn martial arts, but then also find out that the vibe of the school is great and they really enjoy the atmosphere. And then you're going to have people who they're just into the martial art and they don't really care about the other thing. So it's, it's kind of difficult to judge everybody by the same standard. And, you know, I have a much more relaxed way of, of doing things now because I have an intensely loyal following in New York. Um, because we are, are we focus so much on the atmosphere of the school being one of the primary selling points. It's not just about the Wing Chun or how you do Bong Sao or how you do the punch, but people sacrifice eight hours of their day to go to work, and then afterwards they're going to come here for another hour and a half, two hours or whatever, and this needs to be the kind of place that people want to come to after they work for eight hours here in New York City with the hustle and bustle and grind. So I have to make sure that the school is that third place that people want to come to and be like, you know, I just at the end, the only thing they look forward to at their day besides obviously seeing their loving wife at home at the end of the night is coming to the Wing Chun class, you know? And you have to make sure that you have a world-class atmosphere in order to accomplish that. And um, 
as as you know, we've talked about it on the podcast many times. Until about five years ago, I was a member of Learn Ting's International Wing Chun Association. And my school always had a really, really cool vibe. But um, I didn't focus on the awesome vibe uh, that I do now because I was also restrained to a certain degree by the rules and, and the kind of mores of the association or whatever. And I was very different back then when it came to loyalty and dealing with loyal or disloyal students, you know. Um, you know, and I did a lot of things in those days that, you know, when I look at it now, I'm not very proud of it. You know, when when, when people would leave the Learning Ting's Association, um, you know, Learning Ting famously always writes these statements, you know, like, oh, this person never learned this and this person, you know, is a, a dishonest person and ripped us off for money and that's why they left or whatever. And it didn't matter if this person quit the association because – you know, their school's just not making money and, you know, they right. need to get another job for their family, which is a total legit reason to leave the association. Um, or they just don't want to do it anymore. They lost the enthusiasm or whatever. Or this person legitimately left because they want to call themselves Grandmaster of Almightiness or whatever the fuck. Um, it didn't matter why they left. Just the mere fact that they left the association meant that this person was an enemy of the association. And so I, I was also in a position where I had to pen letters you know, saying that this guy was a bad guy and this and that and the other thing, because that's kind of what we did. And so if somebody left my school and went to another school or opened their own school or something like that, you know, I had to write these statements and letters and all this kind of shit, um, you know, saying what a disloyal SOB this person is essentially. And nowadays it's kind of like, well, first of all, why would you give free publicity to somebody who left your school by doing that? doesn't even make sense tactically from a business marketing perspective. And second, I realized there was there was a shift that happened when I quit the association. Two things happened. I was already successful before I quit Lang Ting's association. I mean, I'd already been earning a living teaching martial arts for a number of years. Um, but when I left the association and I saw how all my students stayed, because I was wondering, oh, if I quit the association, are some of my students going to want to leave and stay with the IWTA or whatever? And none of them left. They all stayed with me. Right. And then I realized one of Leung Ting's failures, and this is not to call out Leung Ting, because all of the traditional guys make the same mistake. They believe that the mere fact that you're following them or their style of Wing Chun means that you're absolutely loyal to their system of Wing Chun. When they don't realize this, you're actually loyal to the school you joined. When people come to my school for the first time, they don't necessarily know who Leung Ting is or who, even who Alex Richter is. They come because they want to try out martial arts. They want to try out Wing Chun. When they come to the school, they go, oh, I like this place. And they're loyal to the school. And then later they find out, oh, we teach Leung Ting Wing Chun or we're from this lineage or that lineage. It's almost like an afterthought. But the mistake that Leung Ting made is he thought, no, they are there because of me. He thought, And I know for a fact because we ask people questions when they come to the school. How did you find out about us? Why are you here? And so many people are like, oh, I just want to get back in shape. I want to. I don't want to go to a gym. I want to do martial arts. I saw the IP Man movie. Whatever the hell they say the reason is. And that's why they come. They don't go, well, I had researched all the lineages and I found out that you uh, are a representative of Learn Ting and that is why I'm there. Because, But in Learn Ting's mind, and I can only speak on Learn Ting because I knew him for many years, he thinks that everybody who trained at my school was there because of him. He really believed this in his mind. And I think it's a hard, a hard uh, fact for him to understand that it's like 95% of the people who come to my school did not know who Learn Ting was or even who I was when they came here because they just saw a flyer, saw an ad, and came to the school. And so I realized that, one, when I quit, all my students were loyal to me, so they, it was because of the school, not because of the style or not because of the lineage. And second, when I became successful as a martial arts instructor – and I realized that I can earn a living doing this. And, and Sean, and it's not to say, it's not to brag or anything like that, but my school is at the point now where when people come in off the street and I feel that they are strange, like they're going to ruin the vibe of the school, um, and not because they're big or aggressive, but they're like, they're just off. Or I just feel like maybe they have emotional issues and I'm not going to be able to help them solve this. Some people come, they feel very um, intimidated by the school. And we help to bring out that confidence and suddenly six months in there, like in training all the time and they're maniacs, sometimes people come in off the street and I just go, this person has issues. I'm at the point now where I don't have to accept anybody in my school who I like, I don't need, as I make a joke, I don't need to teach bong sao for cash at this point in my life. So um, 
because for me, number one is the atmosphere. Is this person going to come to the school and 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 be a, a uh, you know upstanding member and, and contribute to it, and, and 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 or is this person going to make people feel uncomfortable, awkward, or strange? And so I I we probably uh, turn away a number of people just based on the strangeness of their emails, their telephone calls, or their first intro lessons. And we say, we, you know, we tell them, which is the truth. We, we're going to put you on a waiting list because we actually have a waiting list to get into my school now. And right. so uh, because uh, and we're packed to the gills, but uh, I want to make sure that we have a good instructor to student ratio. And I just don't want people coming in who are going to be weird. And that's another paradigm shift. When you realize that I don't you don't need to teach bong sell for cash. If somebody leaves and is disloyal or wants to say that, uh they're a grandmaster or open their own school after they've been with me for six months. I don't give a shit because there are 20 other people waiting in line for that person's spot. So, right. and, and all the students are at the top are super loyal and they love it. And they're really there. And, and, and we, we know who the people who are, who really follow us. So the thing is, if there's one rotten apple that leaves, it doesn't matter, but most of these schools are so small. One person leaves, it upsets the entire dynamic of the school. And so I'm at the point now where that, that doesn't happen. It's like if there's one weird apple and he managed to slip into my school or whatever, and that person leaves or whatever, no sweat off my back, man. But for the, a lot of these other schools, they're so small, one person leaves, and it's all sorts of butt hurt because that person was one-eighth of their income or something like that. Right, so, right, right. Um, and, and I don't have that problem. So that also changes the perspective on what it means to be loyal or not, you know? Oh, absolutely. And and, and there and just conversely, there is the idea of, of owing loyalty to yourself as well. If you're being taken advantage of, it's time to move on. You know, um, you can go. You can belong to an organization. You can belong to a school or a kung fu family or whatever you want to call it. If at some point you wake up and say, "You know what? This instructor does not have my best interests at heart. That I really am just a, uh, a checkbook to them," or or worse, I've seen worse um, instructors and in schools that uh, the instructors would be really out of line with things. You know. Right. It would be silly to stick by and oh, you know, and, and and stay in a in a bad situation. It's like it's like you wouldn't stay in a bad marriage because you got married. You know, after you get married, you realize your spouse is completely fucked up and wants to do you harm. Right. Just like if you joined a school and went there for two months and realized, oh wow, you know what? I got this is really uh, an, uh, an unsafe environment. Yes, yes. You know, you got to get out. Even I, you know, I say two months, but it can be more than that because the longer time you're in a in a in a in a, in a school relationship, anything to that effect, the more you're exposed to the inner workings. Like I like the, for example, when Alex and I first started this podcast, I had no idea he was a fucking loon, right? But now, here we are, season three, and I'm starting to realize, dude, fucking dyed his hair bleach blonde. But you know. So at some point, I may have to take a step back and be, you know, the dude of Kung Fu. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, good, like, good so... Good with that, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so the best thing about this podcast, I think we absolutely fucking need each other ridiculously. Totally, totally. Um, the, uh, the other one that speaks well... <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't some Wing Chun guy say, like, oh, Sean needs to learn some English or something? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was just awesome. I, I was, thought that was funny. I'm um, putting that one on a t-shirt. <laughs> that'd be great. And spell the jerk-off's name wrong. You know, you're, you're, told, you're totally right because um, if the school brings it, all right, and, like, you know, we, we work about the atmosphere, we want to make sure that the training is great, and somebody's still disloyal or leaves or whatever, well, it's like you really tried. Right, like exactly said, right. If the environment is shitty, if the instructor is taking advantage of students, if they're just taking money and they're not teaching or whatever um, – then there's an issue there. Now, you know, there's something called martial virtue, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is a, a, in, in Chinese tradition, there, there are different virtues, loyalty and honesty and respect and things like that. And do you know that not all virtues are considered equal in, in Chinese virtue, uh, in martial virtue? And this is something people don't realize because you, you hear these lofty words like martial virtue and 
honor and integrity and loyalty and all this kind of stuff. And there's this idea that they're all on a pedestal. But there is a hierarchy to virtue in Chinese martial arts. And you know that loyalty is not the number one. uh, one. Oh, really? The reason is this. If you are loyal to your instructor, and this is, and I'm talking from a traditional Chinese perspective, if you're loyal to your instructor, but it turns out that your instructor is a bad guy, he's maybe doing things dishonestly, either with money or um, maybe his side job is that he's a gangster or something like that, um, then how can you say that being honest is on the same level as being loyal? Right. You, you see what I mean? So the, the thing is that lo- loyalty is unfortunately a little bit like a faith-based um, attribute in that um, there, are other, there are other better metrics to, to determine whether you should stay at a school than simply loyalty. Because loyalty is something that's very difficult to quantify. You know what I mean? Because it's like a feeling. It's like there's a little bit of societal or, or martial pressure to stay loyal or whatever. And, and so if your instructor is not loyal to you, if your instructor is that you give your instructor money and you expect to get lessons and you expect to get something in return and you're not getting that, um, well, then staying loyal to that person is kind of stupid. You know what I mean? And, and, and so um, it has to be a two-way street. And I think this is difficult because it's a lot easier for someone who's lazy as an instructor to demand loyalty because that makes Oh, his- that's my business model. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because that makes that makes this business easier. I am I am Sifu so and so or master right. whatever so and so, and you need to be loyal to me. And then that makes their job easier. But when it becomes an exchange, you give me money, you 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 um, work hard with what I teach you, and I promise to teach you and help you improve and get better. That's a two way street. And as long as that contract is there, um, then I think it makes sense to be loyal. And when when the instructor breaks it, I think it's okay if the student leaves. You know, I mean, that is a two-way street. And, and you know what's funny? I've been teaching now for 15 years professionally. And it's only happened a handful of times because, honestly, I have a very low attrition rate at my school. Um, my attrition rate, meaning students who join my school and students who leave, is less than 5%. And I have hundreds of students. Um, right. So just just so you have an idea, because we do the statistics on this, it's less than 5%. So that's the reason why we have a waiting list, because people keep joining and people aren't quitting. <laughs> so right. so the thing is, there's actually a point where it's like, well... I could teach some classes there and take care of that. I... <laughs> get rid of some, so we got to get some new students there, right? And, and so in the 15-year time period... Um, I, I've only had a handful of students that I've needed to kick out. I mean, I think really on one hand, I can count the number of students that I've either, either needed to kick out or had left and then done something shady or something like that. And in a majority of those cases, those students all had something in common. And do you know what that thing in common was from the people who ended up being the most disloyal to me? What? They all told me they were my most loyal student. Yeah. And, and you know it's very funny because I remember one guy in particular he would always say Sifu I am your most loyal student I will never leave you I will never betray you if anyone comes in here I will and starts trouble I will beat them you know it's always that guy and the funny thing is I never ask people to say or do those things for me and the real loyal student is not the one who has these huge proclamations of loyalty it's the student who just comes shows up practices doesn't doesn't try to put themselves on they, they just show up and do the work right and they do it day in and day out that is actually the guy who's loyal the one who has to tell you that he's loyal it's almost like they're trying to convince themselves somehow and it's always been those students who tell me you know or they come in you know yeah and you've probably had this too week one week two students oh man i'm gonna do this for the rest of my life oh man i really want to be an instructor you know those guys who tell you they want to be an instructor after week one or week two, right, right, right. or they tell you they're going to be with you forever, or they tell you they're the most loyal student. Those are always the ones who either they fizzle out, they end up being the ones who ultimately truly betray you, even when you kind of you know bring them up by hand, so to speak. So right. I've never had a student of mine, you know, who's made it to a very high level and, and who's been with me for a very long time, who told me that they were my loyal student because loyalty is. It, it, it's it's your it's in your behavior. It's not right. in your words, and that is a two way street, and that's difficult for some people, both students and instructors, to accept. You know, it's funny. It's like um, 
when you talk about Baisi, you know, people refer to Baisi as the ceremony. Yeah. And um, I remember once having a conversation with uh, my, my Sifu, Tom, talking about Baisi. And he had said something to me that, uh, that the Baisi ceremony was just a ceremony to acknowledge a lifestyle. That it wasn't, um, at least in in, in Moya Winchen, that it wasn't you. You didn't buy see to to as as a, uh, a one-off type ceremony. It was it was a it was an acknowledgement of a lifestyle right. of of a kung fu life. You know, it was acknowledgement of. Um, just doing things for your Sifu and your Sifu doing things for you and you eventually Baisi as some sort of formal acknowledgement of a, of a current lifestyle. It's not the start of a lifestyle. It's, right. a, it's an acknowledgement of a lifestyle. With, with, with that, um, what's your thoughts? And I don't know if anybody's ever done this or anything like that. So if it applies to anybody's Sifus, I apologize. Mm-hmm. But I know I've heard of people like will buy see with several different people. I find that to be extremely odd. Yes. And um, me, myself, would have a problem with that. Sure, sure. Um, but am I out of line with that? It's like, well, I mean, again, it's like we said before. I think a lot of these things need to be taken on a case-by-case basis. Like, for example, um, on, on one hand, it's like, you know, if you really want to learn something in depth, and we've talked about this many times on the podcast, you need to put in the work and follow something through before you understand it, before you can start criticizing it, before you can decide that you're going to uh, change it or do something else. You know what I mean? It's like, right. like those like those who, who want to dispense with tradition must should seek to first understand it. Right. You know what I mean? It's like I have no problem with people modifying, changing Wing Chun, changing whatever, so long as they actually understand what the hell they were trying to do with Wing Chun to begin with. But when right. you guy who does a couple pack cells and lap cells and a couple low kicks and and taught himself some Sunam Tao form out of a book or something like that, and then he's like, "Well, you know, the problem with Wing Chun is." <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you're not you're not qualified to say that because you you have not you know you know like 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 the the Chinese say like, "Hey man, uh, I have more knife scars than you have leg hairs." You know what I mean? Don't right. pretend that you are on the level to start criticizing something that you don't understand yet. So on one hand, if you really want to understand something, you really not try not to dig. 10 holes, but try to dig one that's really deep. You know what mm. I mean? And so that's on one hand of it. On the other hand, because like I said before, we live in a consumer-based economy. You know, people might go here and then not like it and then go somewhere else and not like that. So on the other hand, then you have these people who they do the opposite. They take advantage of, um, I guess, what's more modern and hip, which is to have an eclectic approach and try different things. And they are essentially not loyal to anybody and they will go and learn from this guy and learn from this guy and learn from this guy. And, and you know, I, I don't think that that's a problem from a loyalty thing because, look, they obviously are not really loyal to anybody else. So if somebody's going to let them buy seed with them knowing that they buy seed with this guy and that guy and this guy or whatever, that's up to the instructor. You right. know what I mean? But I'm, from the student perspective, the student who thinks that – the more Sifus they buy see with, somehow the deeper their knowledge of whatever art is going to be, they're kind of mistaken because uh, they're only getting the superficial bits of all these different people and all they have is the facade layer of five different Sifus and they don't have anything in depth. And as a result, it's going to be very difficult for them to cultivate anything within depth for themselves, you know, because they have not even experience any martial art at any great depth it's all always superficial from this guy this guy this guy i personally don't do by sea at my school that's a try and i'm a very traditional guy but that's a chinese tradition that i i don't believe in anymore because uh uh one we have too many damn students <laughs> um two i believe that if you join my school and you join the program i'm not even the seafood for the students who join the school anymore for the last two years my my student, uh, Craig, he's the head instructor of City Wing Chun. So when the students join my school, they actually call him Sifu. He's their Sifu. Um, because he's the guy who teaches them. It's not me. He's the one who teaches them from day one, not me. So it's not fair that they call me Sifu and they don't see me. Or they only see me once they become advanced or Buji level or wooden dummy level. You know what I mean? I, I want them to know who their Sifu is. And that's the reason why I put my student 
so my student Craig is actually the head instructor of my school. I'm not the head instructor of City Wing Chun in New York City. I'm the chief instructor of my association. I teach instructors, but I'm not the head instructor of my New York branch. That's somebody else. And um, because I want the students who join the school to actually have a relationship with their Sifu. And for me, if somebody joins the school, that is their by Because now they've joined the school. I am not responsible. Our school is responsible for teaching them Wing Chun. And they don't need to get on their knees and kowtow and bow and give us a red packet. They've already joined the school. And that's enough for me. And I find that... Um, in certain ways, it's nice, you know, like some of my senior students right. have done a by with me. Like they've already been with me for a number of years, right? right? And then they do it as kind of like a, you know, just like a showing or whatever. And that's nice. And I understand it's very beautiful from a traditional perspective. And that's exactly what I mean, though. That's already a, an acknowledgement of an existing relationship. Yes, exactly. And and But strictly speaking, I don't require it even of right. my most senior students because um, – the beauty of you know getting down and saying you are my sifu, I, I entrust my my martial arts learning to you or whatever. There's something very beautiful and something very old school in that, and I totally dig that. Um, on the other hand, the reason why I don't partake in it is because one, if you join my school, we we are responsible for teaching you. We've already taken that responsibility. You don't need to get on your knees and give us a red packet. You've already joined, so I already accept that as you have joined the school. We, we already take that as a given that we're going to teach you. In the traditional, at least in Wing Chun, the way it was often done is you did a Bai Si when you joined the school. Okay, you are my Sifu, you accept me, here's, here's, here's the red packet, will you teach me? You stick around for a few years, you're usually taught, not by the Sifu themselves, you're taught by some senior, a Sihang or something like that. And this is how most schools are, not just Wing Chun, Hong Kun, all the other Kung Fu styles. You, you give the Bai Si money to the Sifu, and then you go to the Sifu and he teaches you the first couple movements of the form, and then... He pawns you off on a C-hang. Right. And you learn from that C-hang for the next five years. And when you're still around after five years, you get to give another red packet to your Sifu. And then you get accepted as a Yapsat Taiji or indoor circle student or inner circle student or whatever the hell you want to call it. And then the real Kung Fu learning begins. And I remember reading that on a website uh, that somebody um, actually – I got an invitation many years ago when I was still in the Langting organization from another Wing Chun school here in New York City. And the Wing Chun school was having a Bai Si ceremony and they wanted me to come as a guest. And the Bai Si ceremony was not for new students. It was for students who had been around for like six or seven years. And then they were going to be accepted as uh, what the Chinese call or in, in inner circle students or indoors, whatever students, right? And on the inv- invite, it said, these are our most loyal students who have been training with us for six, five to six years. And now they are going to buy C with their Sifu to finally be accepted in serious Kung Fu training. And I thought, what the fuck? What have they been doing for six years? Right. That was not serious Kung Fu training. And for me, I, I find it a bit duplicitous and a bit strange to say, okay, give me your money. Stick around for a little bit. I'll give you to a second-tier instructor. And when I know that you're still around after a few years, then I'll really teach you. You know right. what I mean? And, and, of course, you're not going to teach somebody beauty or wind dummy until they're ready for it. But if you come day one and I'm teaching you how to step and punch, I teach you with my heart. I don't teach you a half-ass step and punch and you got to wait six years for me to teach you the real one. Right. Everything you do, you have to do with your heart. So if I'm teaching you with my heart from day one, you don't six years down the road need to give me a red packet for me to then finally begin your serious Wing Chun training. If somebody told me that, I'd give them the middle finger. Then what the hell was I doing for the last six years? You have to teach with your heart. And this is what Chinese martial art instructors need to do now. They need to accept that, that the onus is on us to step it up as instructors and not rely on old ideas of loyalty that students will just stay because they're loyal. The loyalty now has to be on us. And mm. I think that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you know, uh, I've I've had four students by seat with me in you know, 15, 15 years or so. So this is clearly not something I do with every student that walks in the door. To me, it's an acknowledgement of uh, of somebody I'm really, really close with, somebody that I'm family with, someone that it's it's almost hard to distinguish between friend and family, and. Um, and it's, it's rare. It's really rare. And it's not something we advertise. We don't invite people. We don't, it's not, um, 
it, it, there's no money that changes hands other than a, a dollar bill. It's just a representation. <laughs> well, that's it. dollar bill is for four. <laughs> four people. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 because it's just it's not about money. You know what I mean? It's not like oh, it's five thousand dollars or it's a thousand dollars or whatever the number is today. Um, I, I I I I like it, and I know a lot of people see it as something crazy and something um, mm-hmm. something uh, antiquated or ridiculous, uber traditional, and that's fine. And that's why it's not for everybody. I will teach right. everybody that walks in the door the same exact stuff. It's not like. Um, take uh, Chris or Seth or Dave or guys that have buy seat under me I'm teaching them anything different than anybody else that comes to train with me so it's not like oh okay you train with me here now for four years now you buy seat with me now you're going to learn the secrets it doesn't exist right. it's, that's why to me buy seat is not an acknowledgement of rank buy seat is not some sort of gate you pass through for knowledge Bicey is strictly an acknowledge of a special relationship that's developed over years. It's not anything to mean, oh, he has secret knowledge or she has secret knowledge. They have a special skill that no one else learned. To me, that's, that's bullshit. That's like, you know, well, what do you mean you haven't been teaching me? You're only teaching him the good stuff? Fuck him, you know, and fuck you. You know, it's... Uh, to me, it's Bicey is just literally, you know, wow, they're really close, you know, and it's and it's almost not necessary because like, you can't be around, you know, me and Chris or me and Dave or me and Seth, and and not realize that we're really really close friends, right? You know, um, and the Bicey had nothing to do with us becoming close friends. Mm-hmm. We were really 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 close friends. And we just said, hey, you know what? Let's do this as right. some sort of acknowledgement of it, you know? Like, uh, like you know, not to get too personal, but um, my wife and I lived together before we got married. It's something many modern families do. How dare you? Listen, we even held hands, all right? So I don't want to fucking hear nothing. <laughs> um, it's almost like the marriage ceremony was an acknowledge of a pre-existing loving household that we already right. had. Yeah. To me, the bicey is almost the same thing. It's sure. just an acknowledgement of a, of a relationship. Right. And to me, that, like, so when I talk about loyalty, I talk about loyalty in a, in a sense of, like, not um, a, to, to kowtow or listen or obey a, a, a seafood or a wife. <laughs> I talk about loyalty, you know, in, as... as um, Loyal to the relationship to just have respect for it. Right. To treat it with the respect that it deserves. You know, not that like, oh, my Sifu Tom does Sambo. Uh, Russian Judo. Well, you know what? Believe him. I don't give a fuck. I don't feel like doing it. I'm not doing it. But, you know, if I looked at, you know, him being my Sifu as, oh, I have to do whatever my Sifu says. And he said to me several times, you know, Sean, you would lose some serious amount of tonnage if you fucking did some Sambo. Right. He's right. But I still have no interest in it. So I'm not doing it. Right. So, you know. And it's, I, it's the shorts, right? It's the geet up with the shorts that throws you off. Right? You know, I'll be honest with you, the shorts is the one thing it's got going for it. Sambo <laughs> <laughs> guys are super tough. I was thinking it's, it's interesting what a hybrid it is of like they have the wrestling thing with the shorts and the shoes and then the geet top. It's super, super interesting. Yeah, he's been to Russia to do it and I think that's so damn cool wow. that, that he's, uh, he's, he's trained in Russia a few times, I believe. And... Um, and he talks about it sometimes. You know, I gotta have him get him on the podcast one day because he can talk well about the. Um, he's been to Hong Kong to train Wing Chun, and he's been to Russia to train Sambo, and it's it's kind of the uh, the differences and the similarities between them is really interesting. It's uh, it's it's a, it's a cool little conversation we should have one day with him. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that was hey, that was fun, and, and it was funny how we went from we went from an MMA topic to a kung fu topic. Oh my god! Slick, we were there. That was so slick. We still slipped in the mama, and they had no idea what hit them. Did you see what we did there, folks? Did you see what we did there? <laughs> 
So I uh, just want to remind you guys out there to like us on Facebook, the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page, if you have not done so already. And if you have done so, then use your other accounts, the ones you use to stalk your female co-workers, to like the hell out of the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Let people know about it. Share the page on your page. Let other people know. They should like it, especially if they're into martial arts, Jeet Kune Do, Wing Chun, all that good stuff. Um, we're also on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you go to SifuAlexRichter.com, you can also listen to a, a feed of the uh, podcasts are on there as well. Um, iTunes and Android is the main platform. Um, if you guys would go on the iTunes or Android platform, whichever one you use, and write reviews. So when people go to the respective podcast stores and apps, they will also see reviews of the podcast because that really helps get more people to listen to it. We're making great strides in terms of getting more people to listen. We had a really great week in terms of downloads, but um, the more people who listen to it, uh, the uh, earlier Sean and I can retire and do this full-time for a living. Just kidding. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, like it, share it, and uh, uh, let people know about it. We appreciate all the support out there. You guys are awesome. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send it to the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. And please understand that both Sean and I have lives. I am the Kung Fu genius and Sean is the Jeet Kune Do wizard. <laughs> a life outside of the podcast, so we do not always get to these things in a timely manner. Uh, but just you know, uh, hold. But up. know that we yeah. here, we're here for you, folks, and we love you. And we love you guys. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate all the support, and we'll see you guys soon. And in honor of Alex's hair. Oh my God! May I have your attention, please? <laughs> I think May I have your attention, please? A copyright violation. <laughs> <laughs>